Good evening and welcome to the next episode of This Heretical Life. I'm your host, Brian Thomas. And as always, I am joined by my much handsomer sounding co-host, Adam Leggett. Hello, everybody. Adam, this is a special episode for a couple reasons. One, because we're having to re-record an episode we recorded a while back. But two, our wives are making guest appearances on the podcast, which is very exciting. Most definitely. Very exciting. And I'm not saying it twice because I'm trying to convince myself it's true, but because I already believe it's true, <laughs> I want to make sure everyone knows. Um, so yeah, my wife, Kelly, and Adam's wife, Jessica, are both here. So I think we should give them a second so they can both sort of say, hi, I'm Jessica, and hi, I'm Kelly, so our listeners know which voice belongs to who. So why don't you go first, Kelly? Hi, I'm Kelly. And hi, I'm Jessica. I mean, their voices are pretty distinct. You just want to know which is which. You know, I wouldn't want them to think my wife was the really loud one, but it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> lower my voice a little bit. It's just from Kelly's voice. I mean, you could start off like that, but we all know it's going to end with you pounding the table and yelling something about women's rights or who knows. <laughs> um, but um, <clears throat> we're talking about marriage this episode. And we have kicked around the idea of having uh, Kelly and Jessica appear as, you know, uh, guests, guests, guest appearances uh, on the podcast. So this seemed like a really good subject to do it. And also we had to re-record it anyway, so why not? Um, but we're talking about sacraments and today we're talking about marriage. We're also getting to do this one in person, which is a little different for, you know, the, the norm for us. Most of the time we're in different locations and uh, this time we're all around one mic getting to look at each other in the eyes. And so that makes it a lot of fun too. It makes it a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, make it awkward. Some of us are not as good to look at as, as others. Speaking of myself, um, <laughs> <laughs> wasn't talking about you, Jessica. Don't worry about it. As a refresher for those in our audience who may have forgotten, uh, my wife, Kelly, is Adam's sister. And then my Adam, wife, Jessica, is Brian's sister. Yes. And Kelly and I got married first. So Adam Perfectly and Jessica legal are in ones. all 50 states. <laughs> Keeping it all in the family. Uh, okay, now you now you've made it. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> it was already weird, but you just like let everybody know this is weird. Um, but uh, pretty fitting, I think, that we have um, our wives on the episode where we talk about marriage. Uh, this is what is it the third episode now that we've talked about sacraments. Yep. Um, we talked about uh, baptism. I think next episode, uh, we're going to talk about uh, confession, because that's a sacrament in both the Catholic and Orthodox churches. But today we're talking about uh, marriage. And I know we've talked a little bit about sacraments before, but just to kind of um, gear up as we head into talking about marriage from a sacramental point of view, I think it'd be good to give a little bit of a recap as far as like what what are sacraments, like for our you know, very Protestant, very Baptisty friends. Um, what are we talking about when we're talking about a sacrament, and what does that have to do with salvation? Uh, so, yeah. So, when we talk about sacraments, I think from a Protestant perspective, most people uh, have this notion or idea that sacraments are things that we do to impress God into loving us. Yeah. Um, whether that's confession or baptism or whatever, you know, well, if you require it. My confessions, when I start making them, are going to be very impressive. <laughs> um. That's Kelly laughing very loudly at Brian's confession, just for the record. Um, yeah, so that we, we they would say as Protestants that 
Catholics or Orthodox, use sacraments as means to impress God into loving us more and forgiving us and letting us, uh, letting us into heaven when we die. Um, I would encourage you to go back, if you're listening and you want to learn more about a lot of that, go back to the episode on grace. I think it would be a great place to start when it comes to yeah. talking about the sacraments. But we really do believe that everything good that we receive from God is a gift of grace. It's a gift of delight. He doesn't have to do anything for us. Um, he doesn't have to initiate any kind of relationship and at all, but he does. And so everything that we have as Christians and even everything we get to participate uh, in as Catholics or Orthodox Christians is a gift. It is an invitation of his grace to us. And we believe that because God loves us and because he created us physical beings, that he gives us physical means mm -hmm. by which we can experience his grace. So he invites us to the waters of baptism. He invites us to the table. He invites us to be reconciled through confession, so on and so forth. And one of the things that he's given us as his church that we get to participate in, and by participating in it, we get to experience more of his grace is marriage. And it's not that we believe that marriage is some magic pill, right? That you you swallow, you participate in, whatever, and it automatically guarantees that, you know, you get to go to heaven just because you did this. But it's a path and, and it's an opportunity that God's given us when we participate in it. It helps us to become like Christ. Right. It helps us to be able to participate in his life more fully. Uh, and by doing that, by becoming more like Christ, then one day we get to be with him. Yeah. And I think also important to add, when we say marriage is a sacrament, that doesn't mean that people who are single are somehow, it's not as if it's more difficult for them to um, be saved or to enter into the kingdom of God because they're single. For sure. A good, uh, a good quote that I heard one time, and we may have used it before, but it's that God binds us to the sacraments but we are, but he himself is not bound by the sacraments. Yeah, yeah. Meaning that, you know, if we are able to be baptized and we choose not to be baptized, for instance, then that's a problem, right? Mm -hmm. But God's not bound by the sacraments. So the thief on the cross, right, who's not able to be baptized, God's not sweating up there in heaven like, oh my goodness, how am I going to save him? You know, because he didn't get a chance to, you know, make it to the river, so yeah. to speak. Um, and it would be the same so with with uh, marriage. If God calls you to marriage, then that is one of the ways in which he's called you to draw closer to mm. him and to become more like him. But if he hasn't called you to marriage, if he's called you to something else, then uh, he can use that too to get us where he wants us to be. Yeah. Yeah. So marriage is, I, I, I always remember hearing um, pastors and my dad talk about how family and marriage, um, you know, is the first thing you see God institute in creation mm -hmm. um after after creation is complete he <coughs> excuse me he creates marriage a lot of hand gesturing going around the table i'm not sure what to <laughs> to make of that um but uh, we're swatting at gnats swatting and at gnats, yeah, yeah. so on and so forth there are some gnats uh, in our house um we're in adam and jessica's house by the way gnats everywhere. <laughs> um but i think a question and this is one we can take turns uh, answering uh, all four of us um, like when you think of what your opinion was of marriage before 
you know, in, in Adam and Jessica's case before you became Catholic and in mine and Kelly's case before we uh, started moving towards Orthodox Church. Like, what was your view of marriage then? And sort of like, how do you view it now? Now, y'all weren't, y'all were married in a Catholic church. Y'all had a Catholic wedding, Kelly and I, Kelly and I didn't. But like, how has the journey towards these more ancient traditions, how has that changed uh, even how you think about marriage? Because we always thought of marriage as good. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like as Baptist, we thought marriage was not something special, but we didn't have that sacramental view of it. So how has viewing marriage as a sacrament changed even how you approach or how you think about the institution itself? And we'll start, we'll let Jessica go first. Um, such a good question. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I thought so. I'm honestly, um, I think I've heard Adam say this too. No, I don't want to hear Adam's answer. No, 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 no. I know it's not Adam's answer. <laughs> Adam has said this and I'm, then I will answer the question. But um, I, and I think we're both would say we're grateful that we were raised in homes where marriage was viewed kind of sacramentally, not because our, either of our parents were by any shape or form Catholic, but um, marriage was was kind of viewed very, we're here to better the other person. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very obviously selfless love. Um, but um, for me, just going through premarital counseling with our priest and having him really um, drive home that at the end of the day, my job as a wife I'm here to get Adam to heaven. Like, that's my job. And so if I'm... It's a a tight calling. (laughs) Really, really hard. If I'm, you know, sometimes you question um, your actions as a wife, or am I doing stuff right? And I just always come back to that question of, is this going to better my husband? Is this going to make him more Christ-like? And in the end, at the end of the day, help him get to heaven. And it's... and when you think about that, it is, I mean, obviously no small thing. Um, and I don't know, again, not that I didn't think, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, getting married when I was not, um, becoming Catholic to better my husband and vice versa, but it just, it, it, I mean, that just really became very real and, um, makes marriage your everyday life just super serious. Yeah. And I think, <clears throat> I think you have to, if you're going to enter into a sacramental marriage, both people have to have that mentality. Mm-hmm. And you have to know that the other person has that mentality. Otherwise, if you're on your own feeling like, well, it's on my shoulders to you know, help get this person to heaven, it can, it can seem somewhat... Um, well, super daunting. Daunting. <laughs> and um, even, I don't know, like holier than thou? Yeah. Is it like, yeah. you know, well... God gave me you so <laughs> that I could, you know, help you out because you really need it. I mean, and also too, like vice versa. Oh, well, God gave me you so that you can work hard to help can me get to heaven. Can we please stop referencing Blake Shelton and country songs, please? <laughs> <laughs> like, um, it can seem very, hey, babe, you know, you're supposed to be working hard to help me get to heaven and you're not doing a very good job, so step it up. Right. You know, it can. I mean, you could really take that either way, right. I feel like. But when, when both people enter into it, recognizing not only their calling, but their need and, mm-hmm. and, and recognize both at the same time and recognize that that calling is supposed to be modeled after Christ's example of how he redeemed 
his bride, mm-hmm. right? How he uh, went after his partner, which was not con, not condemning, not necessarily, you know, a constant attitude of holier than thou or whatever, but love that love to the point of death, even death on a cross. Um, it, it really, I think it changes things a lot. Mm-hmm. Recognizing that you're, you're in this together. You're, you're here to sacrifice your life for the good of the other. And in that mutual self-sacrifice, God moves through it, gives you <laughs> grace in the midst of it and works through it to help, you know, help you help each other to become more like Christ. What about you, Kelly? Has your view of marriage <laughs> changed since uh, over the past two and a half, three years, however long it's been since we started this journey to orthodoxy? Um, not that I can think of. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was actually thinking um, when Adam and Jessica were talking because it was so boring. My mind. <laughs> <laughs> But when Jessica was talking about, um, you know, the seriousness of marriage and, you know, we exist here, uh, we exist in a marriage to um, help the other, you know, if you want to quote scripture, like work out their salvation with fear and trembling. And as you were talking about that, I thought, man, I'm really lucky because that is pretty much how Kelly's always been. Like, I've always felt like in our marriage, Kelly's had that... um, other focused mentality, mm. you know, like, um, I'm here to help make my husband a success. You know, when I was a pastor, she's like, I'm here. Uh, I think she even said this once the other day, like I felt like as a pastor's wife, part of my job was to make you look good. She was really good at, um, uh, mm. like I like both jobs <clears throat> that I got in, in churches as a youth pastor and as a senior pastor, like, I feel like <laughs> a large part of the reason I got that job was because of Kelly. Um, Amen. Brian's okay. I'm all right. I'm all right. <laughs> Kelly um, and those kids are pretty yeah, cute. Yeah. So um, I, I 100% think that. So um, yeah, as you were talking, Jessica's like, yeah, I, I really feel lucky that Kelly has always approached marriage that way. Um, when I think about like how has my view of marriage or my understanding of marriage changed? Um, <coughs> little pause in the action here. This podcast brought to you by children out of bed. <laughs> um, so when I think about how has my understanding of marriage changed over the past few years uh, in this journey from Baptist orthodoxy. Um, I do think uh, Jessica used the word serious. That's probably a good word. Um, I I feel like I've always taken marriage pretty seriously, as seriously as I'm capable. I'm not that serious of a person. Well, again, we had, we really did have good examples in our, in our lives of what, um, you know, a husband and wife looked like that. (laughs) <clears throat> did look like you know when they when they were loving each other well i think we, we saw examples of that we did you know yeah. regardless of where that was from and uh that's a good thing you know yeah I, we, and we definitely grew up in circles that always talked about marriage in that right in that way <laughs> that marriage is uh, i think my dad in sermons uh, i'm not sure where he got it probably from 
maybe from his dad, but, um, you know, marriages where both people are looking like, what can I get out of this marriage? It's like some people go into marriage, like having an attitude, like a tick on a dog. Like, what can I get out of this? It's like, and now the problem is you have so many marriages that are just two dicks. Yeah, it was, you know, but, but I mean, he preached on marriage like so often uh, when we were traveling that I, I heard that example an awful lot. Once a week. Once a week. Um, but, and I think, and this makes it probably more simple um, than it is, but I do think that's kind of at the core of the sacramental understanding of marriage um, is taking that idea of marriage is about giving and then sort of adding to it this idea that it's not just about the husband giving and the wife giving, but it's actually about God giving through the husband and the wife mm-hmm. to each other. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of funny with baptism, the Lord's Supper and everything else. Marriage is probably the thing in Protestant circles that's viewed most like a sacrament the way that Catholics and Orthodox understand it. Mm. In the sense that Jesus said, you know, what what God has joined together, right? Let no man pull apart, right? Pull asunder. In the sense that, okay, this is something that we participate in physically, Mm -hmm. but that God enters (laughs) into that ceremony, that moment, and he says he does something. Right. Yeah. He brings them together. He unites them together in a way that we can't see with our eyes, but is connected to the marriage itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's something that's definite, like it has a, a moment in time. So most Baptists that I were around when I grew up would have said that if you slept with the person you were engaged to the night before you were married, that was sin, Right. Yeah. Even though you still love that person, Why are you, looking at us? you still <laughs> you still uh, you still intended to marry that person, but there's something sacred and God ordained about the marriage itself that even if you were to even if you're intended to be married, that's not enough, mm-hmm. right? Like you, you're if you're able, right? Like you have to get married before you participate in something like the the marital. Uh, bond right mm-hmm. or the, the marital union so i don't know it's it, that to me was kind of one of the touchstones if that's the right word like between my protestant understanding of how god could work through ceremony and stuff like that yeah to the catholic world it was marriage it was because like well i understand it it was marriage right yeah. like you can't sleep with the other person before you get married, even if you mean to get married, yeah. right? Like that is still sin because God does something in marriage. Um, he chooses to work that way. And so if that's the case with this ceremony, then could it be right yeah. that that's how it works with baptism, right? Or, or something else yeah. along those lines. Marriage, the gateway drug to Catholicism. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh-huh. And, um, I'm trying, this is it's sort of frustrating because I felt like we had a really good conversation about marriage, you know, a couple of weeks or so ago when we recorded um, the first episode, the first version of this episode. And I'm trying to remember um, some of the things that were said and, and I'm not, um, but it, it can be so easy when you look at the other sacraments, like the Eucharist and baptism 
for it to just be all, especially if you're looking at it coming from a Protestant background, for it to be all kind of too, too mystical, like, you know, mm. um, our priest was over here the other day talking to our kids about baptism because our, our, our sons are going to be baptized uh, later this week and talked about how the Holy Spirit, you know, comes and is in the water when you're baptized. And I remember thinking, like, it still sounds a little odd for you to say that. And I agree with you. Like, but I like thinking back like three years ago, if somebody had said, you know, like, oh, Holy Spirit's going to come and fill the baptismal pool. Like, that's not. I mean, I'm going to put a bunch of water in there and that's all that's going to be in it. And if we're lucky, I will remember to put the heated water in the baptismal pool. And so when you when you are like a Catholic or an Orthodox person, you're talking to your, you know, non-Catholic, non-Orthodox friends about the Holy Spirit being in the baptismal waters or the the bread and the wine being the body and blood of Christ, they just give this look like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. But marriage is, again, one of the the sacraments where you look at it and you can, it seems really obvious or it can be really obvious how God works through marriage. Mm. Um, When you talk about salvation as being um, less about where you end up when you die and more about having a relationship with God and being uh, partakers of the d- divine nature and, and and being in union with God, then you turn around and look at marriage like, okay, well, I can see how marriage helps me towards that end because that's really what marriage is also about. It's about union between me and mm. my spouse, between me and Kelly, between Kelly and me. And so it's almost like, well, it's so much easier to see how that is a means by which God puts me in union with himself then it can be just to see how, you know, how can bread and wine be Jesus and how can the Holy Spirit be sure. in the water? And and why does the priest care about what I was doing a couple of weeks ago? None of his business. Right. I can just confess to God. Um, marriage is, is probably, or seems to be like one of the more practical sacraments and, and more like you were talking about really accessible kind of in that way, because marriage is about um, union and it is about, getting to know the other person really, really well and you becoming known um, at a really intimate level. Um, Kelly and I have have joked about um, how we seem to be, after 10 plus years of marriage, we seem to be rubbing off on each other. and, And even, and this has happened several times probably in the past year or so where one of us will be thinking about something like it's a random thing and the other one will start talking about it and be like i was just literally just thinking that exact same thing um so slightly creepy well it's <clears throat> just jealous you know y- y- y'all aren't there yet but when we talked about this before we talked about how um one of the passages that I think both of our traditions point to when it's talked about uh, marriage being a sacrament is not only in Genesis, when you look at uh, God bringing Adam and Eve together and being the first family, but also in the Gospel of John, um, where the first miracle we see Jesus perform mm-hmm. is at a wedding and how that demonstrates God's special blessing uh, on marriage. And I think I think you mentioned this that there's this sort of uh, parallel uh, parallelism between the first few chapters of Genesis, where it's this account of creation, and then a marriage, 
in the book of John is this account sort of of creation in the beginning was the word and the word was God. And then you see a marriage. Right. Um, and I, I had not realized that before. I may have heard it once before, but I had forgotten until you mentioned it. I thought that was that's so cool. Mm. Um, and so to me, so rich when you look at it and see creation, marriage, and then in John you see um, Jesus having existed since before creation and then marriage with his uh, his blessing of the, the, right. the wedding ceremony. I mean, of all the things that could he could have done right for his first miracle if he if he wanted to really show off and yeah um make his mark on the culture and the history of you know jerusalem or whatever uh it just seems kind of normal yeah i mean you know he's he can raise the dead he can walk on water you know those types of things he could have been any number of places doing any number of different things but as John as John chronicles it, you know he was uh, he was at a wedding. Yeah, it's kind of cool. At a wedding with his friends, um, uh, uh, thinking through it, it's like you know here's Jesus and his disciples at this wedding. He hasn't really. This is before he goes into the wilderness. This is before he's baptized. Right. This is before John looks at him and says, "Behold, the you know the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." It's like Jesus's last chance to just like sort of be normal, you know. So. Uh, I'm pretty sure it says in John that he already had some followers. Like there were people there with him at the wedding. So it was like Jesus in the beginning of his, you know, disciples. So at that point, it's just Jesus and his buddies. You know, it's just like a cousin's wedding, something. We don't know why they're there. You know, it'd be funny if like maybe Jesus didn't even want to go to the wedding, but his mom made him. Right. You know, <laughs> he's like, he was going to go meet John. They're going to talk about the baptism thing. And his mother's like, no, this is your cousin. <laughs> Uh, this is, I don't know if you remember this, this is the cousin who stayed with you in the temple. Remember that? Remember when we left and you didn't come with us? This cousin <laughs> stayed with you and took care of you. You were going to the wedding. Um, and then he's there and he's just, you know, doing what wedding guests do, waiting in line at the photo booth. Um, <laughs> and Mary comes over. It's like, they're out of wine. I'm going to need you to fix this. <laughs> I imagine everybody's like, isn't he a carpenter like his dad? Like, what is he going to do? Um, and then you pointed out the the really cool difference between when you look at Genesis and you see what did Eve do? What did Eve say when yeah. she was faced with temptation? Essentially, Satan asked her, are you going to do what you want or are you going to do what God says? And Eve was like, well, I'm going to do what I want. And then in John, Mary looks at the servants and, tell, and says do whatever he says. Like right. you do what God tells you to do. Um, and it's not, it's not a, a perfect one-to-one uh, symbolism there, but we, when we were talking about it before, there's just so much, so much richness in looking at those first few verses or first few chapters of Genesis and those first few chapters of John mm-hmm. and looking at what's at this, what's, what's the good thing kind of at the center of both of them for sure um, is marriage. You know, where does God, kind of do a, a very special work in both of those. And of course, in Genesis, he's created the universe. That's kind of a cool thing too, I guess. Right. Um, but it's a marriage. He creates marriage in Genesis. He blesses marriage in John. Um, and like you said, for no for no real like discernible human reason, this wasn't like, this wasn't the marriage of somebody that he was <laughs> going to curry favor with, who was going to help his ministry down the road. Not that we know of, not sure. the Bible tells us. It's just 
a normal everyday marriage. And God says, you know where I'm going to announce, you know what event I'm going to choose as my big announcement? I'm going to choose a marriage. Yeah. At a marriage, I'm going to start telling the world who I am and what I'm here to do. Sure. Um, in the Orthodox tradition, are there any are there any rules about marriage, particularly the ceremony of marriage, to kind of set it apart as this sacred, special thing that it is? Like, uh, so when we got married in the Catholic Church, for instance, now our our priest is kind of a stickler for tradition, and we're grateful for that. Um, but like, one of the rules is no secular music, mm. right? Like in the service itself, when you're partying afterwards, it's fine. But in the ceremony itself, it has to be church music. Yeah. Or like a second example was you like you have to have. And I don't even think this happens and except for like mm-hmm. extraordinary circumstances. You have to have special permission to get married, not in the church. Like oh, you, you, yeah. There's no beach weddings. There's yeah, nothing not like that. Um, <clears throat> one of the reasons why and I really love this quote, um, it's out of the catechism. I think it's paragraph 1641. Uh, marriage introduces one into an ecclesial order and creates rights and duties in the church between the spouses and towards their children. Uh, so it's this, it's this idea that marriage is not just between the two of you, mm-hmm. right? Like this is something that God's called you to do and to participate within the life of the church. Uh does the Orthodox Church have any like ways in which they kind of put their not maybe not put their stamp on? But you do you follow my question? Like, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, weddings in Orthodoxy do take place in churches, you know, on on holy ground and in the sacred place. Um, and I mean, Orthodox services don't really have music um, like they do in Protestant services, or even like you really see in Catholic churches. There's no instruments. And that holds true in, in wedding services. I mean, it's the liturgy is served, uh, the Eucharist is served in, in a wedding. Um, so it's very much in that same vein as a liturgy is when you go on a mm-hmm. Sunday morning. Um, there's a lot of praying. Um, there's extra things that go on as well. Uh, we haven't been able to attend an Orthodox wedding. Did you go to one? No. She's shaking her head no. Internet audience. Did you go to one? No. No. She, she didn't. <laughs> um, uh, there. I mean, there's a whole lot that goes on, and there are that you can't, you know, you you can't have secular songs that has to take place on, on the sacred ground. Um, there's there's a, a lot that a lot that goes on, and it is sure. very much a, um, it's a church service. Yeah, you can't you can't outsource it to a beach or to a barn right. or a resort. Uh, you can't personalize it and make it how you want to make it. It's sure. Um, and the church is like, no, this is not really saying like, this is our thing, but like, this is a sacrament. This is of God. This is right. sacred. This is holy. You don't get to just, you don't get to just do what you want. This is a, you're not going to make strange fire out of this, sure. you know, like, uh, like Aaron's sons did. Sure. Um, and I, I love the wedding that Kelly and I had. Um, sometimes I think I really, I wish, you know, it would have been nice to have a ceremony that, took it that seriously. Right. I mean, ours, ours took it seriously, except for the, the celloist kid, not the celloist, uh, the harvest, harvest kid. kid. Um, 
that thankfully neither Kelly or I, nor I could see, but was apparently doing gymnastics on a chair and the not the, the harpist kid, as in it was a kid playing the harp. No, no, no. But the harpist's kid, Child. possessive, yeah, kid. Like he, the kid wasn't possessed. <laughs> We're Catholic. Like everything is possessed. everything is possessed. Hey Kelly, what um, like when we when we talk about marriage and it being uh, a way that we can participate in being like Christ and all that kind of stuff. Um, particularly when it comes to the way we reflect his image as co-creators, when it comes to having kids and things like that, what kind of effect do you think that that, because we've not, ha- we've not been able to have kids yet, right? Like one day we, we hope to, but, uh, what does that, what does that mean for you? Like when you're walking with the Lord and all that kind of stuff, what is it, what is, what is the effect of having kids? Like from your perspective? as someone that uh, sees marriage as a, as a means to not only become more like Christ, but to live out Christ. Does that make sense? I'm kind of confused. Like, are you talking about <clears throat> being a mom? Or are you talking about um, more marriage? <coughs> Both. Okay, can you ask the question? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, what is the significance to you in your spiritual journey of having kids like how has it affected you not only in your marriage but also just personally like becoming more like christ um i think that becoming orthodox is has affected it but i think that again it goes back to the way we were raised in that um being a mom and having children has always been something looked at as something that is um, sanctifying mm. because it's very selfless. It's very um, sacrificial. Being a mom is in the same way with marriage. Like I've heard Protestants even <laughs> use the term um, sanctifying. Marriage sure. is sanctifying. Motherhood is sanctifying. You just don't mean it exactly the same way. Right. So does that answer your question? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Just the whole idea that God is changing me as he's helping me become what I need to become for these children mm-hmm. um, and, for, and for my spouse. Sure. Does the idea or concept of and this goes for for either of you not only helping each other get to heaven but the kind of the weight or the burden of realizing that it's also your job to help your kids get to heaven that has that is that an added not i guess because as protestants right like we can we could talk about you know well we need to take our kids to church we need to do those things so that god can hopefully so that they'll give their lives to jesus right is there a is there a different perspective as parents and being orthodox, like as far as your your job is, like, like Paul talks about how he, you know, made up for the suffering that lacks, oh, you know, yeah, in Christ yeah. kind of thing. Is there some, has your view of your, your role for the sake of your kids' salvation, has that changed any? Um, for me, not, not a whole lot. Um, in fact, I'd almost say it's a little bit, and for me, I'm speaking personally, Kelly may feel differently, and I may be a horrible person for what I'm about to say, but for me, it almost takes a little bit of the 
I don't know if pressure is the right word, but off a little bit. Because I agree. when I feel like being a parent in the Baptist tradition, um, it's because it's so much like facts. You have to cram the right facts into your kid's head. Mm. Um, and so that's like, well, what happens if I don't explain it just right? You know, and, and our kids, like they've asked several questions here recently. They'll go through spurts where they'll ask questions and some of them are not as, uh, as concerned. Um, Clark was giving at Clark, who's um, five, was giving Atticus, who's three, a theological lecture the other day about something. Atticus is like, I don't know why it has to be that way. Clark's like, because because God decided. And he's just <laughs> God. And he does that. And it's okay. Um, <laughs> um, but, and, and even in, in the Baptist tradition, there's still an emphasis on, on you know, <clears throat> modeling your salvation, being someone your kids can look up to. And, and in orthodoxy, like we had, we didn't go to church last Sunday because it, it wasn't our, our church kind of does a half goes this Sunday, half goes the next Sunday. So we stayed home and we were sitting on the porch and Kelly was like, well, let's read the scriptures that we would read. And let, and she's like, you can give a homily. I was like, um, so we read uh, a scripture and we read about the first and second greatest commandments. And we talked about what does that mean? You know, what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Um, and so that idea of showing, I think, rather than telling, I mean, we still can tell, we still do, but, um, to me, one of the most important things we can do, um, is as saying our, our morning prayers before they go to school, um, and trying to be consistent with saying evening prayers. And we stand in front of the icon corner and we do that and, and they get to look at, and they get to hear um, the gospel in a sense. Like to me, looking at an icon is kind of looking at this visual representation of the gospel and um, and hearing the prayers and hearing them over and over again so that they're thinking, what does this mean? Why are we praying this? Uh, and also getting for them to get to participate in the liturgy and get to see what that is and, and soon to get to be baptized. Um, and there's still pressure. There's still, sure. um, you know, like, what are we going to do if one of our kids grows up and wants to reject this or, or walk away from it? But I feel like there's not as much pressure to like get them to memorize the right combination of words. Sure. Mm -hmm. Or the right uh, answers to the, the right, right answers to questions. Protestant questions, maybe. Like, uh, well, Kelly was talking earlier about when you asked her, you know, about <clears throat> being a motherhood is, is sanctifying and, how that was always something our traditions we grew up in the Baptist, they valued motherhood. Um, but I felt like when in the Baptist tradition, yes, it was valued. Like as your, if you're a wife and a mother and you have children, you raise children, you're doing a good thing. But there was also still this extra pressure like, yes, but you also need to make sure you're still doing your daily Bible readings and you're still doing prayer and you're doing all these devotional things. And in conversations with our priests and like with our priest's wives, in orthodoxy, it's not, they don't say, well, don't worry about reading your Bible, but it's like mm -hmm. taking, raising your children and loving them. Um, Father John, our priest has talked about, is like the church fathers talk about how being a mother is just about as, it, you can become as holy being a mother as a, a monk can in the desert fasting and praying all the time. Mm -hmm. Like in the church fathers' minds, those things were pretty much equal. For sure. It was like a mother at home loving her children 
is pursuing holiness to the exact same degree as a monk in the desert who's not eating and not drinking and praying all the sure. time. Wow. And I think that is an aspect of valuing marriage and motherhood. That's There are Protestants who would kind of agree with that or hold that, mm-hmm. but there's still that that pressure. Like, well, if you're not doing the latest Beth Moore study or, um, you know, you're not those that thing in of itself is not seen as sanctifying in the Baptist tradition as I think it is in orthodoxy. Um, and again, that's that's one thing I I love about orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. Is it looks at it says, yeah, marriage is a sacrament. So loving each other and being self-sacrificial towards each other, that's making you holy. That's making right. you into the image of Christ. And being a parent and they say it more about mothers than they do about fathers, but being a mother and raising your children and feeding them and cleaning up after them, that makes you holy just as much as the monk in the desert yeah. praying, praying and reading <clears throat> scriptures all day long is making sure. him holy. It doesn't just say it's important the way it approaches it and the way it integrates it into the life of the church says, doesn't just say it's important. It says, look, it's important. We value mothers. We make saints out of mothers. Right. And that reminds me of something that I learned when I, I guess I was pregnant with Gregory and I don't remember who said it and I know I'm not going to quote it correctly, but um, the idea that being a mother and carrying a child in your womb is one of, if not the only time that God reaches down and works with a human to create life. Like works with, I guess human is the right word. Yeah. I know yeah. I'm not quoting this right, but sure. <clears throat> the idea that God and I are creating something together mm. in itself was holy. Like mm. just the thought of it put a whole different perspective on that difficult pregnancy, yeah. that difficult time when you're creating life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember Father Jason, who was the priest of the church we went to he may at that time, that said that. talked about, yeah, I think, I know he was saying something along those lines because we were talking about um, Gregory being churched, and, you know, uh, him coming to the church. He wasn't baptized, but he was kind of carried to the church, kind of in a, you know, Simba, Lion King kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and Father Jason actually took him yeah, behind the iconostasis mm-hmm. and, and brought him out. Um, but we were talking about when we could do that. And Father John says, well, it needs to be, not Father John, Father Jason said it needs to be, you know, 40 days after, you know, no more than 40 days. He's like, if it's Sunday falls on the 39th day, he's like, that's fine. He's like, but um, he's like, the Orthodox Church believes like having a baby and giving birth, that's, that's holy. That's creating life, you and God. And the mother is not allowed to come to church for 40 days after that um, because she is considered too holy to come and be with everybody else. Kind of like when Moses would come down off the mountain and his face mm-hmm. was so bright, the children of Israel were like, you know, cover your face. We, we, we This is too much for us. Um, the Orthodox approach to motherhood is kind of that same thing. Like for 40 days, just you're, you know, almost like we're not worthy for you to come and be in church with us because look yeah. at what you've done. Look at what you and God have done. You have made life. And that's something that, no one else gets to do. So you are really, really holy. You stay home for 40 days. Yeah, and that in itself is very different from the way that we were raised. Sure. Yeah, when we were raised, it was like if your baby was born on a Monday yeah, and Sunday rolls around and your baby's not in church, 
dear. Where so are you, you, you want your baby to go to hell is what you're saying. Right. What I'm understanding from this conversation is that Kelly is the holiest person at the table. Yes. For <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> Hands down. She's been in the desert <laughs> fasting and praying and she's had five children. Like for 10 years. <laughs> she's been, you know, our oldest is nine. Um, so, and she's, she turned nine in August. So it's been, you know, a little, almost two months. So nine years plus two months, plus nine months is nine years and 11 months from, so it's almost been exactly 10 years since Kelly got pregnant with Gabrielle. And yeah, she's been in the desert fasting and praying ever since. Ever since. <laughs> <laughs> that's, oh that's, that's super cool. I mean, we, there, there are saints in the church who spent less time in the desert than that <laughs> and got sainthood out of it. <laughs> so last time. I'm just kidding, our, Father John. No, I'll confess that. Last time for our, uh, well, last time we recorded this episode for a fun topic, it was what's your favorite movie or TV couple? Yes. Since the topic is marriage. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. So, wow. Brian, uh, to give them a chance to think for yeah, just a second, yeah, yeah. what's their favorite TV or and or movie couple is? Do you remember what your pick was? Yes, and I'm still going. I'm staying with the same couple, but my favorite is Mr. and Mrs. Brown from the movie National Velvet. Aww. Um, they are so sweet. They're so chaste. Like 1930s, not early 1940s, the movie is set. So they're very chaste. They're not, you know, a really what we would consider affectionate to each other at all. They call each other Mr. Brown and Mrs. Brown. Mm. Um, but there are these little moments throughout the film where you can tell, especially him, you can see like he adores her. Like he loves her so much, uh, is so in love with her. Um, there's a scene where they're talking about how she got famous when she was younger for swimming the English Channel. Um, and something about how, you know, everybody was wanted to talk to her so much attention, you know, even boys were around and she made a joke to Mr. Brown. Like, maybe that's why you came around. And he's like almost offended. It's like, you know, it wasn't like sort of like, <laughs> no. And also a little bit like, you know, I really like that though. Like it's just, <laughs> even though they're, they're not at all like what we see as like affectionate couples now. Sure. Um, I, I think they're just so sweet and so kind to each other. Um, and so respectful of each other throughout that movie that I'm, I'm going to stick with Mr. and Mrs. Brown from National Velvet. Very cool. Uh, my pick was Mr. and Mrs. Braddock from Cinderella Man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I love their dynamics. It's a great movie uh, all around, but the way that they, there's not, there's not really a whole lot of like super happy moments in that movie. But they're the way that they handle hardship and mm -hmm. raising their kids and the way that they love each other and the way that she, you know, supports her man and the way that he respects her and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's just really it's it's really beautiful film. And uh, their relationship is really fun yeah. to watch on screen. They have a really good just the two actors have a great chemistry, but the the way that the story is told there and their relationship is pretty powerful. Yeah. I think so. he's a really great father in that film as he well. Is. I mean, she's a good mother too, right. but, but his, the, the film does tend to focus a little bit more because it's about him on him. Sure. And you sure. see his relationship with his children when he takes the one son back to the store to get back the, the salami he stole right. and he, um, it's getting up to go work on the docks and his daughter's still hungry. So he tells this story about the dream he had, <clears throat> where he was at an all you can eat buffet and was so full he can't eat anymore, so he gave her his food. He's 
that that's they're both really good in that film um as a couple and, and as a father for sure all right jessica kelly you don't want to be on Jessica's just like frantically um. scrolling through her phone. <laughs> IMDb, IMDb. Yeah. What's, what's so funny is that Adam asked me this question, I think when y'all recorded. I did. It was just a fun question. And I know I had an answer, and I don't really remember what it was. I um, I know I gave couples that I really, really love, but it's hard to say they're my favorite TV couple because I don't actually think they have a healthy relationship. <laughs> like, like, I like, I've been in Leslie and Parks and Rec. But yeah, but, yeah. Uh, Luke and Lorelai from Gilmore Girls will always have my heart, but I don't think they have a health relationship. They do not. You don't. In case any of you have ever watched the TV show or not, they do not. They don't have, have a good healthy a good relationship. relationship. There are no good healthy relationships present in that show ever at all. That is a good kind point. Of true. Well, not kind Phoebe, of true. What like, about Phoebe and Mike? They're they're, they're healthy. They're is her name cute. Phoebe. What did you say? Oh, I'm so sorry. I jumped to friends. I was say, like, why are you like? No, uh, <laughs> you're, you're probably correct. No, but no, I think you. I think um, what's the what's Melissa McCarthy's character's name? Oh, um, Suki. Suki. Suki and Jackson. Suki and Jackson two. are. Except for that time, he didn't have a vasectomy and told her he had a vasectomy. That was not healthy. Oh, I, I over it. Don't remember seeing that one, but um, like they genuinely. The grandparents like, have good moments. I mean, they, they, have, they, have, they, bad they have bad moments, but they're, but yeah, as a whole, they're, they're not, they're, yeah. there's not good relationships um, in that show. I, I think during the conversation, Adam brought, when he asked me the question, brought up a couple that I actually really, really do love. Uh, I've loved for a long time. So I'm going to go with this one because it's a healthy relationship. Um, but um, Heathcliff and Claire Huxtable are one of my favorite TV couples. Oh, yeah, Aww. he mentioned that. Um, absolutely super sweet and in love it seems like the whole entire series and they had some major chemistry on screen just yeah like yeah great i mean great parents and um yeah they're just so much they're so entertaining to watch i feel like i feel like i could um probably think of more and better ones if i sat here long enough but um the first one that came to mind was Peter and Elizabeth from White Collar. Oh, yeah. They're yeah. my favorite. Aww. That's think, a good one. That is a good one. I think one. that they are just, one, adorable. They love each other. They respect each other. They're each other's world, even though they both have other worlds, mm-hmm. you know, and jobs and careers. And I don't know. I just really, really, I feel like I relate to them or our marriage yeah, relates to yeah. them in ways. So, um yeah, they're I like that one. definitely way up there. Yeah. Yeah, we've talked about them and, and mm-hmm. them being a favorite couple of ours several times. And, like, Neil is basically their kid in that yeah. show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and their dog. And now we have a dog. Oh, okay, my. but we're not talking okay. about that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I almost brought that up earlier when you were saying we kind of know what the other one is thinking. Like, we'll start talking about, like, oh, so that how the dog thing happened? Like, Kelly <laughs> was thinking about having a dog, Brian, and you brought it up because no. you knew she was thinking about it? <laughs> this is just one of those areas where God is using us to sanctify us in ways that we haven't quite figured out yet. Oh, um, those are good. So we've got Braddock's from Cinderella Man. Um, the Huxtables from The Cosby Show, Mr. and Mrs. Brown from National Velvet, and Peter and Elizabeth from White Collar. Those are all good picks. Yeah, Very all nice. good picks. Mm-hmm. All good picks. I guess I'm curious if this is like you're only doing one episode on marriage or if you are planning a part two. 
I feel like there's a whole nother aspect of marriage that didn't even get touched on. What is it? Yeah. So marriage is not just about union. It's about procreation. We believe that it's, you know, equally one and the other. And we did talk about Kelly and Brian having the children and all that kind of stuff. But I just feel like, I don't know, that didn't get touched on a ton. I didn't know if y'all were planning a second one. Or if that just kind of got, if there's overlooked it because you're men or what? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we, I, did, we did talk about it a little bit the first time we recorded. Did, yeah. Um, I don't know where we're at on time. I'm not looking at the clock. Um, and we're, we're still a little under an hour. Okay. Oh, whoa. Um, yeah, but some of that time was just us oh. talking beforehand. We, that, and then something else we talked about beforehand that I don't think we talked about this time is the, in, I'm going to say it wrong, in dissolve, you'll, in dissolve, how marriage is indissolvable. Okay. Um, indissolvability. I don't know. It's indissolvable. At least, uh, it's supposed to be. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so those are two things that we, we could touch on real quick. We can edit all this out and not worry about it until next time. I mean, we did talk about the procreation aspect of it some, uh, but I mean, it is, like Jessica said, it is really important. Um, it is, both traditions believe that a marriage that does not look towards creating life, you know, a marriage that it only wants to be a husband and wife and never have children, that's not, that's not a true marriage, right. you know, um, that's not what it's for. That's, right. that's, that's sin. Right. <laughs> Um, so, and going, going back to the garden, right. Even before sin entered into the world, right. The command was to be for this couple who God had brought together to be fruitful and multiply. Mm -hmm. And that command is never, it's never taken back. Yeah. Right. All throughout scripture, having children is not only expected or commanded in scripture, but it's talked about on multiple occasions as being a gift and a blessing and uh, a sign of God's favor, you know, upon his, upon yeah. his people. Um, I mean, if you want to kind of even go a step further, there are, uh, just look at, at the, you know, the Virgin Mary in Christ, the, the child of Christ was the point of, you know, that, that's one where the, you can like the cart kind of came before the horse in that sense, you know, mm-hmm. um, where the birth of the child, Christ, was the point in the sense of that marriage, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't like, well, they're married, those were married, and then just so happened as a byproduct, we got Jesus. It was like, no, Jesus was the plan, the child, the, the multiplication, the procreation was the plan, and so... There was this marriage. Sure. There's other stuff too, obviously, since, you know, <clears throat> Jesus was divinely conceived and um, was not just of some. But it's, I, I think that also points to how important procreation is in marriage that God sort of, Mary and Joseph's marriage in some sense existed for the purpose of raising mm-hmm. the child that it was Jesus. For sure. You know, if you think about the, the purpose of, marriage between a husband and wife to be a picture of Christ and his church, mm-hmm. right? Christ and his bride. The relationship of the bride, the church today, as church militant, right? The church that's still here on earth, our our job as a church, right, is uh, the Catholic church teaches, I think it's in canon law somewhere, I'd have to go back and look. But like 
the primary purpose of the church is the salvation of souls, mm-hmm. right? It's to bring more people into the family, right? It is to, in a sense, right, different, but in a sense to procreate. Yeah, It's that the love of Christ and the love of his church, they'll, they'll know you're my disciples by the way you love one another, that the way that the church and Christ are in relationship with one another would draw other people mm-hmm. into the family, right? So that through baptism, the second birth, right, yeah. they could be made a part of the family right so there's a lot of layers to all that but um you know that's that's part of us being image bearers of christ's love for us as as a church yeah well part of the nature of god you could say was to pass on his image Mm. to man and so therefore to bear his image is to also (laughs) follow that same aspect of nature because that's what he does Yeah. yeah I'm curious, this is me and Adam talking about it in like theological, you know, sort of abstract terms, but at, you're sitting here as, as wives, um, one already as a mother, one as one who, who longs for motherhood. How does that aspect of the conversation strike you knowing that the, the, so much of the heavy lifting is going to fall on y'all because I mean, the men are not the ones that carry the child in the womb for nine months and have to give birth, you know? So when, we talk about and we say procreation is is part of the part of the reason marriage exists. Like, what's a woman's perspective on that? Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, I mean, literally, that's how I feel. But. Jessica, uh, you're, you're Jessica, saying like, that as I gotta I gotta top that. I can't be less enthusiastic. Bring it on as bring on the pressure of. <laughs> Have, having procreated mm, and, and raising children. Bring on the procreation. I was like, bring on the procreation? <laughs> is that what we're saying here? No, it is a huge responsibility, but it's exciting to have that kind of purpose, you know? For sure. Because um, a lot of people just kind of demean motherhood and so make true. it seem like it's not that big of a deal. You're not doing anything. Not that big of a deal. and Or something to be rejected. For Something, the sake of convenience exactly. and that's, career. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Like, it's not that big of a deal. So I feel like so many, I'm going to even say Christian ladies. We're going to say Christian, but we're not actually, I'm gonna, I'm just we're saying, actually saying they are. We're not letting them, <laughs> just like letting them carry the label without there saying There are ladies who do not profess Christianity that would reject motherhood. So I'm, but I'm saying I'm going to speak to ladies who profess Christianity and are going to reject motherhood. Like, why do you keep putting up quotation marks? I'm not putting up quotation marks. My hands are on the table. <laughs> I'm just thinking, um, look at what they're rejecting. Like, look at back the conversation we had about what motherhood means, even just in the Orthodox Church, and working together with God to create life, and that that is sanctifying you, and you're so holy, you can't come to church for 40 days. Like, you want to reject all that? Yeah. Like, it just, honestly, is really... Um, it's really sobering that people just want to get like just push that away so quickly and so fast and then at the same time for ladies who you know get married and I think you know struggle to conceive and I would say that that is does not make you less holy just because yeah. your marriage does not procreate but well just um, like we were saying being single doesn't ex- make you exactly, less holy exactly sure. um, just the longing for motherhood when you realize what it means in our um, in our traditions just feels even stronger and even 
more meaningful. Like you're, like you're saying, having purpose. And, um, yeah, I mean, I would say bring it on as well. I just, an honor doesn't even feel like a good enough mm-hmm. word for it. Mm-hmm. Having, having said that, you know, if, if going back to like baptism, if you can get baptized and you choose not to, right. yeah, you're, that's on your head, right? Right. Like you, you, you will give an account mm. for why you were disobedient. And if we believe what the church, churches, church teaches, <laughs> that because you know that, that church, y'all <laughs> that motherhood is this sacred calling that God has bestowed upon women who have entered into marriage. Um, mm. To reject that intentionally, and to say, I know that there's this glorious thing that God has for me or for our relationship or whatever, this holy calling, this high purpose, but I'm going to choose to not participate in that <clears throat> so that I can go do what other people are doing. Yeah. It, it seems really, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm really convinced. I mean, this is a dude speaking, but just based on what I believe about the truth, I really believe that couples are going to have to answer to God for that. Yeah. Yeah. And you were, you were, uh, you kind of ended that with, you know, speaking as a man and that kind of made me think, well, what's, like, what's a man's role? What's a man's responsibility mm-hmm. in that? And I was thinking um, when Jessica was talking as well about how there's so much cultural pressure that even if you're a woman who's going to have a baby and you, and this is true of some churches and church groups and church cultures as well, even like, yeah, we're going to support this, this couple's right to have, you know, this, they need to have a baby, have a baby or two. But then there's just almost immediate pressure, like have the baby, <clears throat> bring the baby to church, show it off then put the baby in the nursery. And then, then you need to get back to that. I am doing quotation marks normal. Mm-hmm. Like you need to get your body back the way it was. Mm-hmm. You need to go back to whatever career you had. And, and yes, there's the understanding that, that having a child fundamentally changes, you know, what your life looks like, but there's also a, a lot of times this sort of pressure of, but you need to still be who you were before. Mm. But if you really believe as our, both of our church traditions do, and I think most Christians would profess to believe if you really believe that having a child is this holy thing and you have had this like holy experience, then why on earth would you expect that woman to go back to being the same? Mm. Like, even if she do expect, well, she's going to lose her weight or most of the weight. like, she's, she's done a holy thing. Her and God have co-created life right. like that. There's, that's not a threshold. You can go back across. Right. Um, or, or why would you expect your finances to go back to the way they were? Yeah. Or, yeah. It's like or God else. has just like, th- this is like, um, and they talk about like when you, when you write a story, like a three act story, uh, act one, they don't have to be the same link. Act one ends when the main character crosses a doorway, he can't go back. Hmm. And then act two ends when he crosses another doorway that he can't go back through. It's like, well, every time you have a child, God is putting you into another act of life. You're crossing um, a threshold, going into a new way of life that uh, was unlike what was before and don't expect it to be like that. You've, you've gone through door, act one is over. You're starting act two. Things are going to be different now. And so kind of going back to how I started that, what's the, the man's role in that? Cause you said, you know, this is, 
this is very much more personal for a woman in a way that it's not for a man. Not that it doesn't affect a man, but a woman's the one that is going to carry the life, going to have to give birth, you know, the one that's going to be at risk for whatever complications may arise, whose body is going to drastically change. And you have no idea how, you know, what it's going to be like after that. So I think as husbands and, you know, fathers, then it's up to us to not put the pressure on our wives that we're going to have this kid and we're going to go quote unquote back to normal, Mm -hmm. you know, or we're just going to have this kid, like we're going to have this kid and then, you know, we're going to go back to the way it was. We're going to have this kid. I'm going to expect you to still relate to me the exact same way you did before to have the same amount of time, give me the same amount of attention. It's not, there's another human. Like your, your wife has had a holy encounter with God. She's co-created a life. You're not that big a deal anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because it it can really easily, uh, if you're not careful, I think fall into this, procreation is very important which it is and then purposefully or not you just kind of dump all the pressure of that on the woman and it's like well we're going to keep having kids because it's got what god wants us to do but for the husband to have to not always re- respond to that or react to that the way he should <coughs> so that, that, it is it is a it is a, a a weight that is going to fall on the wife in a way it just fundamentally does not and cannot on the husband. Uh, but that, that doesn't mean the husband doesn't have responsibilities, um, not only in, in raising the child, but also in sort of respecting what his wife has gone through and, and is going through. For sure. Uh, real quickly, do you want to talk about the indissolvable nature of marriage? Well, I think we're up over an hour now. Okay. So. I think is we're at an hour and eleven minutes, and I think we talked probably five or six minutes before we started okay. recording. So sounds good. I think it's a good place to quit. divorce is bad. Yes, it is. Divorce is bad. We'll just stop there. <laughs> <laughs> divorce is bad, and you should feel bad about it. Um, yeah, we did talk more about that. Wish I could have seen the look on Adam's face when he said that. <laughs> when he said, when he said like, mean, divorce is bad. Yeah, oh. I mean. The way he no, was. No, after that, he said something else. But Everybody, really... we're we're really grateful that you tuned in <laughs> <laughs> this week's episode. Uh, big thank you to Kelly and Jessica for joining us yeah, for the podcast. Thank you so much for hopping on. It was, it was a lot fun. of fun. Um, if you can, if you feel so inclined, please uh, find us on Apple Podcasts and rate and review or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, snide remarks, uh, you can send them to our email address, which is thisheretical_life at gmail.com, all one word. And uh, we would really appreciate it. Again, that's thisheretical_life at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Adam. And I'm Brian. And our two lovely wives. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Yeah, thanks for listening. Down, the game will begin. Honestly? Yeah, that's my dad. Oh. <laughs> 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 okay, that makes it in. <laughs> 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 Gosh. Man, she is giving me a look. <laughs>